John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Let's prepare our minds and hearts for the reading of God's holy word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the word of God. In the beginning of uh, Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts, we, uh, which we often think of and reflect upon at Christmas time, we see much more of a focus on the events of the coming and birth of the Messiah. Well, here in the beginning of John's gospel account, and what's often called the prologue to John's gospel, which you just read, is not so much a focus on the events themselves, but the significance and the meaning of those events. And that significance begins with the significance of the identity of the one who came, the one who it's all centered around, who it's all about, the one who we're told in verse 14, which is the summary of that event that the whole rest of the prologue expounds upon, the one who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The one who showed up on the scene. And when someone shows up on the scene, the momentous nature, whether that is a momentous thing or not, the momentous nature of that all depends upon the identity of the one who shows up. And whether the identity of that one has 
significance, right? And there's never been a more significant person to show up on the scene of human history than this person. And so there's never been a more momentous event. And verse 1 through 3 then identifies this person as, uh, so he calls him the Word. The Word. And we'll come back to that later. But first, it identifies this word in light of this word's relationship to three other realities, time, creation, and God. And just think about that for a second. Pretty big realities, right? You know, the, the author is like, all right, I got to think of some categories to, to uh, put people's minds in the proper frame of reference to understand this person. And he chooses the three biggest realities of reality, right? I mean, you know, if I was going to pick some categories to give someone a frame of reference to identify myself in comparison to, I'd pick ones that exist on a much, much smaller, shrunken down's frame of reference, a smaller scale, right? Like uh, Chambersburg and the, born in the 80s, right? I mean, uh, this person needs to be understood on a much bigger scale. Before the beginning of time, the source of all creation equal to God. And if we're going to understand this word, we need to understand him in a much bigger way than we tend to. Time, creation, and God, three of the most significant aspects of reality, that is the backdrop against which we need to understand this person who we, uh, it's very clear, is not any ordinary person, but a person of inestimable, unimaginable significance. And in order to wrap our minds around this person requires us to significantly increase our expectations and capacities Right? We need to understand him with a bigger frame of reference. Uh, and the relationship which he is uh, connected, described in light of is that he's described as existing before the beginning of time, as the source of all creation, and as fully equal to God. Right, the first thing that this word is compared to and described in relationship to is time. And uh, he's described as before the beginning of time. Verse 1 begins, in the beginning. And, uh, it, you know, if you, you know, get out your Bible ears, that should sound familiar to us, right? These are the first words of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth in the beginning, God. And so the author of John is calling to mind that creation by God and wrapping up this person with that. In the beginning, God, in Genesis chapter 1. But here in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And we're told that and reminded that just as in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, before everything began, God was already there. God simply existed. 
because he had no beginning, because he is eternal, without beginning, and without end. And John then uh, wraps this person, this word, up with that. In the beginning, where Genesis says, in the beginning God, John says, in the beginning was the word. And this is clarified by verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. And so like God, this word didn't have a beginning. Like God, this word already existed at the beginning. Like God, this word is eternal without beginning and without end. This person's relationship to time then is radically different than ours. Above time, outside of time, ruling over time as the Lord of time, before time as the maker and creator of time. We are, you know, this is uh, so, (laughs) we can't wrap our minds around this. We are so uh, inescapably bound up by time and so powerless over uh, uh, us. It's it's an inescapable aspect of our existence. It's an unmanipulatable aspect of our existence. We can't imagine what it's like to be in that category, right? But he was before the beginning, Because he has no beginning, because unlike us, unlike all of the rest of the created world, even time and history itself, he is eternal, without beginning, without end, not bound by time in any way, but before it and over it as Lord. Only God is eternal, right? But this word, likewise, we are told, is eternal with God in the beginning. His relationship to time, he existed before the beginning of time. He is eternal. And second uh, way this person uh, is related to, uh, he is related to creation. And we are told that he's the source of all creation. Not just time, but all Everything. Everything is made by him. And we're already reminded of the creation account of Genesis chapter 1 by this phrase in the beginning. And now we see that this word was not only present at the time of this creation, but personally involved in it. And it's stated positively in verse 2, through him all things were made, all things, everything that exists receives its existence and origin from him. And it's stated negatively also in verse 3, without him, nothing was made that has been made. Of all the things that have been made, (laughs) everything in the category of has been made, not one of them has been made without him, without his involvement in it. And so he is not included in the category of things that have been made, but is the source of all things that have been made, and so is outside of the category of created things. He's not in the category of creation. Uh, He is in the category of creator. All else has its source in him. He is a source of all things. All else depends on him for its very existence. He depends on nothing for his existence, but gives existence to all that is. He is distinct from creation, above creation, outside of creation, maker of creation, and Lord of creation. He is Lord of time, 
He's Lord of space. He's the source of it all. And yet, the, the uh, wonder that we celebrate in the Christian faith is that this creator, this source of all created things, stepped into the creation, entered into the creation which he made. You know, we, uh, his relationship to time, we're told he's before the beginning of time, he's eternal. His relationship to creation, he's the source of all creation, he is infinite. And third, the third thing he is related to in these opening verses is his relationship to God. And we're told that he's fully equal to God. So we see he's glorious. He is eternal. He is infinite. He's glorious. This word's relationship to God is described in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God, and at the same time, the word was God, and the word was with God tells us a a, a distinction between the word and God. And the word was God tells us of an identification between the word and God. And this is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, the triune God, in which we believe there is one God, only one God, one true and living God, and that this one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and these three persons are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And this word then we are introduced to is this second person of the triune God, the eternal Son of God. This is the one who, in verse 14, we're told, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the, the, the mysterious, marvelous, and amazing message that we celebrate. The eternal divinity without ceasing to be fully divine took upon himself true and full humanity. The eternal, infinite, and glorious God became a helpless, dependent, infant child. The one who created all things became a part of creation. The one who's above all creation entered into creation. The one who is immortal and eternal spirit took upon himself human flesh. He became one of us. And in him we see the glory of God. Verse 14 continues that when the word of became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. Isn't this amazing? And doesn't our view of and captivation by and worship of this most significant person in this most significant event need to significantly increase and deepen. 
We need, we need a bigger vision of and appreciation for an understanding of and marvel at Jesus. Because, you know, this one who is, can only be described as bigger than the great biggest realities of our existence, our understanding of him just is too small, right? It needs to be bigger. And if our understanding of, of Jesus is anything less than what the Bible teaches, if, if it's, uh, how, you know, that if it's just that, uh, you know, that he was just uh, an inspirational person, uh, with a, uh, with that, that's part of an inspirational story. However inspirational, but just a person, just a story that can't give us any power that can't that can't sustain or or uh, or, or uh, give us captivation for worship that message can't save us and that inevitably just sentimentalizes and empties and tames and waters down the message of the power of the gospel god in the flesh anything less than that isn't the gospel God in the flesh. And we need a bigger vision of Jesus because our vision of him is just too small, right? And we need eyes to see who Jesus is. Eyes to see is such a gift, right? Like, you know, have you ever just had a, had a moment of, of clarity of vision where all of a sudden you, you have the eyes to see you have a moment of clarity in which you see something that you didn't see before. Maybe you just see something about yourself. Maybe it was obvious to people around you, but you didn't see it, and you just have suddenly eyes to see something in yourself that you needed to see, and then you have eyes to see it, and you think, how did I not see it? But you see it now, and you seek to live in light of that new vision you seek to live in light of seeing through the, those new eyes to see. And wouldn't that be the, the best uh, gift we could receive as Christians at Christmas time? New eyes to see Jesus. New eyes to see without the cultural haze or the familiarity which breeds contempt. New eyes to see anew and afresh Jesus and his significance and the significance of his coming to this earth to bring light and life. And that's, the, that's the, the second thing we want to consider. So who this person is and why this person came. And there's two reasons that in this prologue of John's gospel we're told of why this person came and that is to bring light to bring life. And we see these idea, this idea uh, all throughout the prologue, but it's stated clear, uh, directly in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. Light and life, that's why Jesus came. And that's why in the, after the sermon, we're gonna sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, in which we sing in one of the verses, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Light and life to all he brings. That's why he came. Light and life. And the theological terms for these are revelation and regeneration. Light, revelation in which God reveals himself to us and life, regeneration in which God regenerates us, recreates us, gives us newness of life. Light and life to all he brings. Light to reveal to illumine our darkness, to make God known to us. Light to reveal God to us. And this is why Jesus in the beginning, this is why I believe he was called by the author of John's gospel, the word. Because what do words do except communicate truth? Uh, Words reveal that which is unknown in order to make it known. And that Jesus is the word means that Jesus is the ultimate, definitive, final revelation of God to this world in which, in verse 18, we read, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. There's no better candidate to make God known to a world in darkness than the one who is light and the one who is God himself. And the one who is, has been for all eternity in closest relationship with God the Father. The one who has known him in the most intimate and personal way for all eternity, and the one who is the very, na- very divine nature himself, the one who knows God the Father fully and perfectly, that one, who, what, what better candidate is there to make God known to the world? And that is the one who has come from God to us, to be God with us, to walk among us, and to show us who God is and make God known to us. He shows us the glory of God in the life of Jesus who lived and walked among us. And when we see Jesus' love, we see God's love. When we see Jesus' compassion, we see God's compassion. When we see his perfection, his purity, his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, his glory, we see God. Jesus came to bring light, to reveal God and make him known to us. Second thing, Jesus came to bring life. We see this uh, expanded upon in verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And so Jesus came to give us a new birth, born of God. And it describes this new, new birth by way of contrast that this new birth is not physical birth, not like the birth that happens by human action and results in physical descent of mother and father to child, 
but it is spiritual birth, birth that happens by divine action, which results in a renewed spiritual relationship of heavenly father to beloved child of God. God, the one who is life in himself, and the one through whom all life has its origin from the very beginning, and the one who, through whom all life is sustained in its ability to keep living. God, the author and source of life, has now come to renew life and give new life where life was lost. Remember, Genesis 1 has already been brought to mind in which what begins in darkness ends in light and in what begins with no life ends exploding with life abundant everywhere by the end of the chapter. And now, just as God brought light and life in creation, God is bringing new light and new life in recreation and redemption through the word who came to this earth not only to live and walk among us, but to die for us. In our place, God himself has now come to share the life that is in him. The eternal, undying, unending fullness of abundant life from the eternal source of life to share that with us who need desperately renewal and rebirth into eternal life. New birth which uh, brings us into this new relationship with God to this unparalleled, incomparable blessing of God being children of God. There's no greater blessing in all this universe, in all human experience, in all reality. There's no greater blessing than being a child of God. That's what God came to give to us, the right to become children of God. And that's, that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas message. When the Son of God became a human so that humans could become children of God. God created us in the beginning with and for life, but in our sin, we rebelled against him and were separated our, went our own way, turned away from him, separated ourselves from him, the source of life. And in doing so, we chose death. That's what sin is. Rejecting God, seeking life and joy out, and blessing outside of and apart from him, but only finding death. Death and darkness, being lost from God and being separated from God. You see, if Jesus came, if the, the gospel message is that Jesus came to this earth to bring us light and life, to give us light and life, what does that tell us about our circumstance when he came to bring us out of? <laughs> that we were in darkness and we were in death. The solution of the message tells us the drastic nature of the problem. 
we were lost in darkness and that we were in spiritual death. Because, and if you've ever been in total darkness, you know that it is a hopeless scenario in which you cannot find your way but can only stumble around being lost, unable to find your way by your own sight, but in desperate need of receiving the gift of light given from outside of yourself from above. That's what Jesus brings to us in our darkness and lostness from God. And when you are dead, you are hopeless, uh, cut off, separated, dead, unable to know and relate and love and know love, emptied of life and so unable to create new life from within yourself, but in desperate need of receiving the gift of new life given from outside of yourself, from above. That's what Jesus came to give us. And that's what he did. God showed us grace. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace to us in our darkness, grace to us in our deadness. And the question for us then is, have you seen your need for God's grace in your darkness and for God's new life into your deadness? Because until the grace of God in the person of Jesus comes into your life, until you respond to him, receiving by faith those gifts that he gives, that is where you are in darkness and death. And that is where you will remain in darkness and death. Have you found and been found by the grace of God's light and life? And maybe you're here and you don't see yourself as lost in darkness and dead in sin. And if you don't and until you do, Jesus will not make sense to you. Because he didn't come to just give us a little push in the right direction. He didn't come just to give us a little extra inspiration. He didn't come just to reaffirm the basic direction of our lives, but to rescue us from the bondage of sin and death. He is Savior, and he didn't come from heaven to earth to suffer and die for anything less than to save the utterly hopeless and helpless. He came into our death and darkness, dying in our place, taking upon himself the darkness of God's wrath, spiritual death that we deserved, taking in our place and rising again in his resurrection to give us new resurrection life. And the only Jesus is the Jesus full of grace who comes to bring light and life into darkness. Have you seen your need for God's grace? Or maybe you see yourself as too lost in darkness or too dead beyond the reach of God's rescue. But let's remember who we're talking about here. The one who made all things from nothing. The one who, when there was nothing, created the vast, immense, diverse, abundant universe. And all life, every beating heart and breathing lung comes from his power, his creative power. And who can not only make all things out of nothing, 
but by his creative and by, by his power and by his grace and by the work of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, can make things alive again, can give freedom out of bondage, can give new spiritual life out of death, can give forgiveness to the guilty and condemned. He's, <laughs> God can do that, and God has done it, and that is the, the, the power of the message of the gospel, that Jesus is alive, and his resurrection power is at work in us who believe so that not even death can separate us from his love. And maybe you see yourself as having once been lost and now found, having once been in darkness and now brought into his marvelous light, having once been dead and now been made alive as God's dearly beloved child forever. I hope you have, and if so, let's let the joy of that reality sink into our hearts. Let's worship God for the amazing grace he has shown us in Jesus. Our fa- let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, the eternal Son of God who became flesh and made his dwelling among us to bring light into our darkness and bring new life to us who are dead in sin. We give you praise that if we are in Christ, we have been brought into your light and we have been made alive unto you. And we, because of Jesus, will live forever. What a glorious hope. And let us find hope in that glorious hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.